I want to share with you a message this morning that I think will be a great Christmas gift uh, because one of the greatest gifts we could ever have, and Marcus, you hit on it, um, there's nothing that weighs on our heart more than either being estranged from our kids or, uh, as the other testimony that we heard, having sons or daughters that are far from Christ and not really living for God. And that weighs on your heart. But especially over the holidays, if there's relationships that we have that are strained or broken, the word enemies sounds strong. Most of us probably don't have our list of enemies, uh, but we do have our list of, of people that have deeply hurt us or people that we don't necessarily like. Or we say something like this, right? Well, I forgive them, but I just hate their guts and never want to see them again. All right? Now, how many of you know that's not quite the biblical concept of true forgiveness. You can't like say, I forgive you, but I never want to see you like in, in Jewel, uh, you know, and those types of things. So if there's people in your mind over this holiday season, and you don't have, I mean, you know, when, when, when God wants to heal some relationships, you don't have to dig for those people. They're like, they just float around in your consciousness and then you kind of push them out of the way. Or the Lord has you walk into them at a store, or at a gas station or something, and you can't avoid them or you try to avoid them. But isn't it interesting, by nature, we want to hate those who hate us. Or we want to absolutely avoid people that don't like us or that we've had some kind of, of a relational uh, friction with. So I want to talk to you today about how mercy can resolve conflicts, how the mercy of God can resolve conflicts. And actually, merciful people are peacemakers. Merciful people love to build bridges. Merciful people love to bring peace. And the best way we can eliminate an enemy in our lives, listen to this, the best way you can get rid of an enemy is to turn them into a friend. And the way you turn people into friends is by demonstrating kindness and by demonstrating the love of Jesus, even when everything inside of us says they don't deserve it. Look at Luke chapter 6 with me. Luke six twenty seven. Jesus said this, But to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies. I like it says, to you who are willing to listen. Um, everybody isn't willing to listen to what Jesus has to say. But he says, if you're willing to listen, listen to this. This is important. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Now, most of us don't want to do good to people. We want to do bad to people who hate us, or we want to run from people. And I just want to encourage all of you, if you are somebody who runs from relational conflict, you're going to spend the rest of your life being miserable. How many of you know time and distance do not heal relationships? In other words, if you run far away, somehow it's going to make the relationship better. No. If you don't talk to them for a year, then it's going to somehow heal the relationship. Nope, it's not true, is it? Time and distance do not do anything to change relational breakdowns. And if you're somebody that's constantly running wherever there's friction or wherever there's strife in your life, and you're running the opposite direction, you're going to be somebody that's going to be miserable. Jesus always raises a higher standard for us, and that higher standard is to be peacemakers. Now, I want to highlight a difference here. Some of you are, are not peacemakers, you're peacekeepers. And I mean, you know, peacekeepers are just people that take the role in the family, all hell's breaking loose in your family, and you're the one that's always trying to keep everybody from choking the other person, okay? How many of you know what I'm talking about there? Some of you, have been, it's, it's a very dysfunctional place to be. 
you got World War III breaking out, you know, Armageddon breaking out in your house, and, and you're running around just trying to keep everybody uh, at bay so that nothing gets too blown out of proportion. That's a miserable way to live, being a peacekeeper. God does not want us to be peacekeepers who avoid conflict and pretend maybe like it doesn't exist. God wants us to be peacemakers, and peacemakers resolve the problem. They, they deal with the issue. Notice it says in Matthew 5, 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, Jesus says, for they shall be called the sons of God. Now, it's awesome because when we talk about being sons, you know, there's a common expression that says like father, like son, and sometimes that's good and sometimes that's bad. But, I mean, you know, when, it, when it's us relating to God Almighty, that's a good thing. We should be like our father in every way. And this Christmas season highlights an important aspect of who God is. God sent his son into a broken world to reconcile lost people to himself. I mean, you know, God is a reconciler. God is a peacemaker, not a peacekeeper, a peacemaker. He is committed to removing the offenses, the obstacles, the the things that keep us from him. And I want you to see this whole holiday season is about the incredible humility of God Almighty, the way God went low for us, the way he pursued us in love so that he could have relationship with us. Now, I know you know this to be the case. There's nothing greater over a holiday season than being given the gift of a renewed relationship or a restored relationship. And you can keep the presents under the tree. You can keep all the material things. Keep your sweaters. Keep your blender. Keep whatever. If there's healing in your life in a relationship that was once very meaningful to you and now is estranged, there's nothing greater that God could give us. And obviously that stems from the fact that God was willing to give himself to us so that we could be reconciled to him in the first place. Look at James chapter 3, verse 18. With me, it says, and those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and they will reap a harvest of goodness. Any of you that are farmers out there know that if you plant one little seed, you literally get an infinite number of seeds in return from that one seed. God says, be a person who plants peace seeds. Now, if you're like me in our house, you know, we, it's amazing. I've had eight kids, as you know. And with each child that flies the nest, the dynamics of our house change. Have you all noticed that? Because like child number one might agitate child number four. Or child, yeah, child number one sitting over there, all right. And or child number seven might have this button they push in child number eight. But when you take out one of those variables, the whole dynamic of the house changes. And so what I'm trying to get in our house is let's be peace planters. Let's see what we can do to sow seeds of peace so we reap goodness. Or we can plant seeds of strife and contention and anger and make your mother and father miserable over the holidays. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I should be getting, somebody should be waving a hanky right now and shouting hallelujah. (laughs) We can plant peace or we can plant strife. And I'm telling you, if you plant strife all the time, you're going to literally reap hell in your household. That's not what we want to do. So how do we go about planting seeds of peace, especially with an adversary? Somebody who is not, doesn't like us. Somebody who's got an issue with us. How do you begin being a peacemaker? I want to give you quickly seven biblical steps for turning your enemies into friends. Seven biblical steps for turning your enemies into your friends. 
Now, this first one's a tough one, but let's start off with the hardest one. How many of you know we're called to make the first move? Now, let's go in our marriage relationships here. How many of you have ever had a, a spat with your spouse in this room? Honesty is important in church. All right. Now, if any of you are like me, if I get my feelings hurt, I'm just going to pout about it. I mean, not, not for a long time, maybe, but just, you know, it just feels good to like. And then I'm going to get quiet. And then I'm going to go sit in a chair all by myself. And I'm just going to stare at the wall, maybe. And I, oh, and I'm not going to go out of my way to talk with my wife. No. I'm going to let her know by my silence, by my passive aggressive pouting behavior, that she has not been pleasing in my sight. And how many of you know if you get two people that are both selfish, that just goes on for years. And your marriage totally crashes and burns. But here's the beautiful thing. And hear me, this is going to get you. The most spiritual person takes the initiative. The one most like Jesus seeks out reconciliation first. The carnal demonic partner. (laughs) The self-centered prideful partner that thinks they're so strong. No, no, no. That's not how the kingdom of God works. How many of you know, was Jesus the weaker party or the stronger party in our relationship, in this marriage? Stronger party. He came and sought us out. He pursued us. And I have to say this, I have been the weaker demonic party in our marriage for way too long. And my wife continually challenges me because she, especially in the early days of our marriage, I've gotten better, I've gotten more sanctified. But in the early days of our marriage, she was constantly be going after my heart. It takes a humble person, a godly person, when there's friction to, first of all, recognize, ha-ha, there's friction. Number two, I want to go be a reconciler and not someone sowing seeds of dissension and strife and discord. I'm going to go low, and I'm going to go first, and I'm going to humble myself. Boy, wouldn't that be great if over the holidays you're thinking of some, some relationships that need mending, and guess what? You're not going to sit and wait for the phone to ring. Guess what we're going to do? Because we're godly, spiritual sons of the Most High God. We're going to take the initiative. We're going to pick up the phone. We're going to write that little note or letter or card. We're going to begin to take the first move. Look at what it says in Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. This is Jesus giving some instruction here. Right after he says, you know, blessed are the peacemakers, he, he begins to spell out what this looks like. If you're standing before the altar in the temple, at, the, at church. Maybe you're in the middle of worship. You're af- offering your sacrifice of praise to God. And suddenly you remember, aha, I have a friend that has something against me. Look at what it says. Leave your sacrifice there beside the altar and go and apologize and be reconciled to him and then come back to church and start worshiping the Lord again. Isn't the Lord amazing? He is, he is so committed to keeping us from being religious. How many of you know what religious stuff is? That's where you come and you sing and you read your Bible. Or How many of you have ever been having your quiet time with God? Man, I was up early this morning. The snow was coming down. I had the fireplace on. I had my cup of coffee. I had my Bible. 
It was just so special with the Lord. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And in the middle of your sip of your coffee, as you're listening to the fireplace crackle, the Lord brings to mind somebody that you are not in a good relationship with. And you're like, why are you doing that? I was having such a good time here being so spiritual. But isn't it amazing? That doesn't impress God at all. What God's saying here is, will you put my Bible down? Will you stop singing love songs to me? And will you go act like me? Will you stop being religious? You're up here in front, you're raising your hands, and you just killed your wife with your words just this morning. What are you doing? Leave the altar and go find your wife and humble yourself and apologize to her and ask her to forgive you. Or that brother or sister that you make sure that they're on that side of the church, you're over here because you don't want them to disrupt your worship. Because you don't like them. They irritate you. Hallelujah. You're a good, good father. That's what you are. But I don't really care because I hate that person over there. Um, and so, you know, I've actually had people that said, I, I don't want to come to church anymore because so-and-so is worshiping at this church now. And I'm like, maybe we should go deal with so-and-so. Maybe we should forgive so-and-so. Maybe we should let so-and-so and the hurt from the past go. Or you can just stay over here and have your own little private pseudo-worship encounter with a fake God who isn't even there. You're worshiping someone who doesn't even exist because the God who exists just told you to drop your sacrifice and go make it right. Oh, this the Bible is so discouraging. I mean, God says, if you have a, listen, this is how spiritual is. Thus saith the Lord, if you have a broken relationship, fix it immediately. God showed his great love for you and for me by sending Christ to die for us while we were sinners, when we were his enemies. We were brought back to God by the death of his son. Bottom line is this. God did not wait for us to act or we'd still be waiting, wouldn't we? God took the initiative. Who do you need to take the initiative with this week to get the relationship right? Now, let me just say this. Um, Second point, I'm moving on here. We need to ask God for wisdom. How many of you know this is mature stuff? This is like grown-up stuff. And let me tell you how this works. You know, the Bible says in James 1.5, if you need wisdom, ask your generous God. He's going to give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. Now, the reason I say this is serious stuff, and I was telling this story this morning. I used to lead teenagers on mission trips every summer. We took dozens and dozens of teenagers over the years all, all across the nation of the world. And what we would do at the end of our trip is we'd all be sitting in a nice circle and we have what's called debriefing. Debriefing is important because... You're supposed to pull the trip together. What did you learn? What are you taking away? How has God changed your life? You know, come on, tell us what's happened. And I kid you not, we're all sitting around in debriefing. And one of the kids says, you know, like say, say I'm, you know, Dick Bastian and I are on the trip together. We're both teenagers. And he looks at Dick and he says, you know, 
before this trip started, I hated you. You really got on my nerves. And Oh, yeah. And, I, I'm, not, and I'm going to peel it off of you. It's just let it go right off your back. I'm just pretending. I really love you. But I hated you. And you irritated me. And then they said something like this. But now I think you're okay. I mean, and you're sitting there as the leader just going, how do we recover from that? How I mean, you know that's not good reconciliation modeling right there? I used to hate you, you were a jerk, but now you're okay. That's not helping you, the other person, or the group, okay? We need to pray for wisdom. I mean, you know, you gotta have the right timing in reconciliation. You gotta have the right place, the right words, the right attitudes, the right tone. In fact, Proverbs 25 11, it says the right word spoken at the right time is as beautiful as gold apples in a silver bowl. What the Lord's saying here basically is reconciliation is a beautiful work of art. We need to pray. And I had Pastor Aaron asking me a question, a ministry question about a difficult situation that he had to, he didn't have to jump into, he was thrown into. And he said, you know, I'd like to pick your brain about that. And I said, let me just be honest with you. There's a lot of situations in life that we find ourselves in that are awkward or painful or something. And, and here's what, let me give you some pastoral advice. This is what you do before you go into one of those relationships. Help, Lord. Holy Spirit, give me wisdom. Lord, I have no idea how to start this discussion. Will you please help? I mean, you know, God will answer your prayers. And as you just open your mouth, if you're dependent on the Holy Spirit, he will give you the words and you'll, You'd be amazed at how he orchestrates the conversation. So ask God for wisdom. This is important. Point number three. Start with your own confession. Don't start with an accusation. Don't focus on my hurt or your hurt. But you start by owning at least something that you did wrong. How many of you know many times we feel like, well, I'm not going to go confess to that other person. You're the one that's wrong. You're 99.99999% wrong. I might have a tiny fraction of wrongness in this problem. But guess what you do? You don't go and say, well, you know, you hurt me deeply and really this is your issue. But let me just start. Please forgive me. No, you don't do that. You own your end. And let me just tell you this too. Some people, some people don't get it. I had a situation where I was involved in a relationship here in the church where the person was speaking evil about me, the person was spreading things to other people, defiled a bunch of other people, caused a bunch of people to leave the church. And I went and I met with this person. And I said, you know what? I want you to forgive me for attitudes I've had towards you that are not godly. Now, what I was waiting to hear was the next 30 minutes of confession over the defilement that this person had caused to our church family. And this is what the person did. They just dismissed it. Oh, no, it's no big, no, it's no problem. No no problem. No, I I wasn't offended. And I left there going, you know, you just completely glossed, you denied, you avoided. You avoided an issue and glossed it. You didn't want to go there. But here's what the Lord said to me. It's not about the person's response. It's about your response. And you know what? I walked out of there with a joyful heart, and I walked out of there with the satisfaction of knowing that I honored God and obeyed God and did the right thing. All right? This is where you have to make sure you're just owning what's yours, you're laying it out, you're doing it in a God-honoring fashion, and you're moving on from there. Um, But take ownership of your issues, all right? You know, the Bible tells us that there are two causes of conflict. This is going to help some of you. There's only two causes of conflict. Self-centeredness and pride. 
If you are living in a home where there's conflict everywhere, and you are, are somebody who's irritated by every little thing, I, I'm going to help diagnose the problem. You're selfish and prideful. Merry Christmas to all of you. <laughs> Pastor, could you be more clear? Yeah, let me turn it around. You're prideful and selfish. Or you're selfish and prideful, whatever order that you like. But if, if there's always strife surrounding you, let me just give you a hint. It might be you. It might be your self-centeredness. It might be your pride. If your marriage is always in a state of constant turmoil, guess what? It might be you. You need to own up what it is that's going on inside of you. I mean, you know, people that are filled with humility and love are not irritated by much. People who are filled with self-centeredness and pride are irritated by everything. They're irritated. The light, hey, the light turned green. <laughs> Gee whiz. You're having a coronary because the person in front of you hit the gas a little bit late. Oh, they're probably on their cell phone. Don't text and drive. I mean, you're, you're having a fit. It's like, why are you so irritable? Let me help you. You're selfish. And you're full of pride. I am trying to help you. Because I am too. We're trying to get this out of us. It's okay. We're sinners. We're horribly selfish. We think the world revolves around us. And the person next to you is just like you. And the person next to them. And the next to them. And next to them. And we're all trying to get free from this. Amen? But I've noticed that if I'm not thinking about me... And I'm humble, and I'm just, I'm just relaxing. I don't get irritated by all the things that people get irritated about. And I don't know about you, but I prefer not to live in a constant state of turmoil and irritation. The Bible says in Proverbs 13.10, Pride only leads to arguments. Look at James 4.1. What's causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within me? You know, if this, if you come home and you say, your wife says to you, honey, why are you so angry? And you say, because I work with idiots all day long. You just might be the idiot. All right. It just might be you. Not all the idiots surrounding you. They could be helping, but I'm just saying what comes out of us when we're under pressure, it's like squeezing the, the tube of toothpaste. You can't blame the pressure for what comes out of you. The pressure is just revealing what's the real you. And so in relationships, if you find this stuff coming out of you, you can't blame anybody else. you got to own it. It's me. They come from selfish desires within. So how many of you know, even in the command to humble ourselves and to take the first step, God's trying to, to kill our pride, and he's trying to create a sense of humility in us. That just maybe, just maybe... There might be something in me that's causing others to be irritated. Now, let me just say this. You know, one of my most memorable moments in pastoral history was when my father had this great idea during communion one time, and he said this. If you have an offense towards anybody in this room, I want you to get out of your seat right now, and I want you to go to that person. You all remember that? I had 15 people standing in front of me. <laughs> I'm sitting there thinking, Dad, I'm not sure this is the way I would have handled it. But 
thank you for all that you're producing in my life right now. But one of the most notable confessions that happened during that communion time. (laughs) Joyce, are you laughing at me or with me? All right. One of the most notable confessions was the person that came up to me and said, I've been holding unforgiveness towards you for the last 10 years and then went on to tell me something that I did. Now, I didn't even remember, I can't remember the day before yesterday, all right? Let alone 10 years ago. And I sat there looking in awe and wonder and fascination. You have hated me for a decade over something that I can't even remember that I did. And you have had me like this. And you've come here every Sunday and worshiped the Lord with me. Now, mind you, they were sitting back there, and I was up there, so the distance thing was going on. But I was oblivious to this. How many of you know that's not very smart? Don't live with poison in your heart for more than a day, let alone a decade. And so I want to encourage you. Now, let me give you another helpful hint. If you have hated somebody for 10 years, it's best to keep that to yourself. (laughs) I'm just trying to help you out. What you needed to do during the decade of communion services, 52 times a year times 10 years, 520 communions. What you needed to do during one of those 520 times of communion was actually forgive the person who hurt you. And then you know what you do? You don't bring it up. You go love the person you just forgave. So you look for a way just simply to tell them, you know what? I love you and I'm for you. And you smile at them. You might even go out of your way during greeting time to hug them. (gasps) Whoa! That would be radical. But you're going to go out of your way to communicate mercy and love. Because listen, how many of you know most of our minor relational irritations can be handled every week at communion? Examine my heart. Lord, is there anybody in this place that my heart's not right with? Lord, bring something up. Yeah, you need to forgive. All right, Lord, I forgive that person. Forgive me for holding on to it. Lord, I bless them. And then after church, you're looking for that person because you're going to shake their hand, ask them how their week went, and communicate to them that you care about their soul and that you're for them. Isn't that simple? Now, I'm not talking about those huge relational issues that you just are not going to sweep under the carpet or just not going to say, Lord, just forgive them. No, I'm not, I know those things need deeper treatment. But I'm saying most of the relational strife and friction we deal with in church settings, it doesn't have to be this way. We can choose to love people and we can choose to release mercy. Now, this next one's important. Number four, listen to people's pain and to their perspective. When we're dealing with the area of reconciliation, your ears are more valuable than your tongue. Have you figured that out? Man, when we got some good sibling stuff going on in our house, what we'll tell people is, hey, could you just please, if I'm in a carnal mode at the time, I use the phrase, shut up. But if I'm in a spiritual mode, I say, could you nicely be quiet and listen to your sibling? Usually it's the former. I do confess I'm trying to get delivered from that. But the point is this. If everybody keeps blaming and yelling at the other person, we're not going to get any understanding or perspective here. So that's why God gave us one mouth and he gave us two ears because we're supposed to listen twice as much as we're talking. And if we'll do that, it's amazing how we... Here's what you're going to hear if you listen. 
And behind every conflict is hurt. Somebody's been hurt. Even in most of our marital strife, if we could just say something like this. Okay, I'm not going to yell and scream at you. Could you please help me understand? Listen, can you please help me understand where I have hurt you? How many of you know you did not marry your spouse so you could have a pattern of hurting them? Right? Am I true? Will you commit to marrying me the rest of my life so I can have a commitment to hurt and damage you for the next 50 years if we survive that? No, who wants to get in on that? Nobody gets in on that, do you? The, the issue is somewhere along the line, your heart got dinged up. And we have, to, we have to humble ourselves even there to be able to say, hey, you know, that hurt me. I assume that my wife is not my enemy and that she loves me and she's for me. And I want her to know that I love her and I'm for her. So if I ever hurt her, listen, it was never intentional. I love her too much. I don't want to intentionally hurt her. So find out where the source of the hurt is. And if you listen, you can get there. And have you figured this out? The people who need the most love are many times the ones who deserve it the least. We're not talking about deserving. Sometimes some of the people who hurt us the most are the ones who need the most love because they've been so love-deprived for most of their lives. They need us to love them more. That's what mercy is all about. Mercy is costly. Mercy is painful. The Bible says in James 1.19, this, this will heal relationships all across the room if we just do this. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Isn't that good? Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. All right, let's go. I'm going to skip ahead, guys, um, to, to number five. Speak the truth tactfully. How many of you, I'm a, I'm a truth lover. Any truth lovers in here? There's a part of my flesh that gets satisfaction from just laying the truth out and letting it hit wherever it hits and, uh, and just knowing I just told you the truth. But how many of you know God doesn't say speak the truth. He says speak the truth what? In love. And that's where we get into trouble. It's not what you say many times. It's how you say it. If you speak offensively, how many of you know people react defensively? You can tell in, a, in your relationships, you might be on this great speech and you're going, oh, that was so good. Oh, that was so true. Oh, let me pull out something from five years ago to build my case. Oh, that fit in perfectly right here. But what you realize is while you're in the middle of this great speech and the truth is flowing from you and you're just thanking the Holy Spirit for filling you up with such truth, the person you're talking to is getting more and more defensive and shrinking behind the argument that you're blasting them with. Because it's not about being right. It's about how you say it and about being, speaking in love. You're never going to be persuasive when you are abrasive. And truth without love is always resisted. But truth with love is often received. We've got to speak the truth with love. This is some practical stuff this morning. Look at Colossians 3. Isn't this great? You must quit being angry and hateful and vengeful. Now, I want to help you out here because... Sometimes people have all the reasons why they're angry and hateful and vengeful. And they say, Pastor, what are you telling me here? Here's what the Lord is telling you. Knock it off. Pastor, it can't be that easy. Is your Bible saying the same thing that I'm reading? You must quit it. Is that what you... Is that what... Is that what your thing says up there? 
But pastor, I'm just out of control. No, you're not. But pastor, you know, I, I, I've been going to therapy for 99 years and I'm diagnosed with this. Quit it! Quit having somebody fill your head with excuses on why you're being disobedient to God and killing the people in your life who love you. Some things we don't need therapy for. The Bible says, knock it off. Meaning, God assumes, we are in control of our angry, hateful, evil, wicked speech and behavior. And hear this. We have the power in the renewed mind and renewed nature and the power of the Holy Spirit to be different people. This is good news. We're not victims. Look at Ephesians 4.29. Don't use foul or abusive language. I wish the Bible were more clear about this stuff. (laughs) Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Now, this is good. This is a template we should put in our brains. I'm about ready to say something. Is it good? And is it helpful? Oh, this is so easy. That day, I, I shared a story. It was, it was last Saturday. We were here like all day long, Marion and I. In fact, this is the other side. We were here hanging those things right there. Those snowflakes on Saturday night after being in this building all day long. I was tired and I had a sinus headache. Sympathize with me. (laughs) And I called my wife because I wanted to know where she was. This is a large facility. I did not want to be in this facility any longer. My wife is not answering her phone. I am getting in the flesh. So I'm walking through the building. I walk in the office. She's not in the office. God only knows if she's not in the office where she is. That light was on just as it is now. I'm walking over here and a dear brother of mine tried to help me and said... Oh, are you looking for your wife? At that point, I had given up hope. No, I'm not. I'm turning off this light, and I don't want you to talk to me because I have a sinus headache, and I will kill you. And that was going on on the inside. Fortunately, the tube was not squeezed very hard, and I somewhat held it together, although I was terse. You all know what terse means? It's a fancy word for rude. And self-centered and prideful. All right. Anyway. But Sunday morning, I have to practice what I'm preaching. So I went up to my dear brother and I said, Will you please forgive me for being short with you? I know you were trying to help me. And I was not in a very helpful mode at the time. Will you please forgive me? And you know what? We hugged each other. And guess what? Ten years from now, he will not be coming up and seeing me. (laughs) At communion. I will not be seeing his face 10 years from now. Because you know what? Sometimes it's just, I get it. Life is hard. Stuff is hard. Things, I get it. We get headaches. I get it. We're tired. We're hanging. Oh, and then we didn't even tell you. I'm handing Mary in the snowflakes. She's on the lift, all right? All right, you imagine that she's on the lift. I'm handing her snowflakes. And the snowflake gets all mangled. So she's 90 feet above the ground. 
trying to unwrap the snowflakes. And I'm just looking at it like, do we need snowflakes in this building? I mean, there's, we got snow. We got trees. Why do we need three snowflakes hanging right there for God's sakes? I'm, I'm just being real. Anybody know what I'm talking about? All right. But then I got sanctified. I repented. I got my eyes back on Jesus and I'm a happy guy right now. All right. Last two. I'm hitting them fast. Fix the problem, not the blame. Number six, fix the problem, not the blame. How many couples keep throwing, you did this, you acted this, you said this, you never, you always, vomit, vomit, vomit. And at the end of the day, we haven't even talked about, like, what's the issue here? Like, what's the problem we're trying to fix? We just puked on each other for 30 minutes. What, What did that do? Let me tell you what blame does. Nothing. Nothing. This is like Washington, D.C., Have you ever noticed what they do in Washington? Nothing. (laughs) It's you guys. No, it's you guys. No, it's the Russians. It's it's George Bush from 10 years ago. (laughs) I mean, are you kidding me? Nobody, Nobody deals with issues. We just blame each other. Don't blame each other. Blaming is lame, all right? Don't blame lame, all right? Don't be lame. Deal with the issues. I'm going to end with this. Number seven, focus on reconciliation, not resolution. What's the difference, Pastor? Reconciliation means this, reestablishing a relationship with a family member, a brother, a sister, a husband, a wife, a brother, a sister in Christ. Reestablishing the relationship is critical. It means you're at peace with each other. It means you bury the hatchet. It doesn't mean resolution, which means that we're going to resolve every single disagreement. Have you all figured out in the church setting, there are people that are going to see things differently. I have had brothers in Christ whom I love deeply that at the end of the day, as we looked at whatever the issue was, we didn't see things the same. They were wrong. (laughs) All right, you need to go back to point four and camp out there. All right, no, they weren't wrong. How many of you know that sometimes we're not going to have things sorted out until... (laughs) We're not going to sort things out until the next life. But what's more important is that you got to love me, and I'm going to commit to loving you, even if you're wrong, or you think I'm wrong, which God will reveal someday. But in the meantime, I'm going to love you. You all understand the difference? That's called reconciliation. That means, check this out. It means the relationship is more important than the issue. And think in our marriages, my gosh, we kill our spouses over issues that on the grand scheme of things, it's like, seriously, you're going to shoot her over that issue right there? You're going to take the bat out and beat her with that issue right there? How about this? Honey, we might disagree. I'm going to do it your way. What would you like to do? I'm going to do it with joy because you're different than me. Hallelujah. And I'm not going to kill you over something that we disagree about. I'm going to love you because, hear this, my relationship with you is more important than whatever the issue is. Oh, this is so good. I'm going to live a reconciled life 
I don't have to resolve all the minor details. I'll even say this. Sometimes churches over theological issues, they kill each other. I've seen church splits over... I've seen church splits over where you put the piano on the stage or what color carpet. I mean, you all know what I'm talking about. I don't want that color carpet. Demons manifest. Churches split and you're like, I don't think this is what Jesus would be doing. He doesn't really care about the color of the carpet. In case you all were wondering... But he does care about the relationships that we have when we come together. Not resolution, reconciliation. When you disagree without being disagreeable, it's called maturity. It's called being a big person, putting on your big pants. We can have unity without uniformity. We can walk hand in hand without seeing eye to eye on everything. We can focus on the relationship. We can focus on being bridge builders. And this is your assignment and my assignment for this week. As I said, you know, we don't, we don't have to pause and think very long about relational maintenance that might need to occur. Some of you right now, you've you got maybe sons or daughters you haven't talked to for years, maybe months, maybe a week, whatever. It doesn't matter the length of time, but the point is there's a strain there. Some of you have spouses that, you know, there's, there's major walls that are up. Uh, some of you have maybe relationships in this room that you need to make right. Uh, some of you might have relationships with people who are no longer in this room. There might be other places. Here's the, here's the assignment for this week. Let's be like Jesus. Let's, if there's even a lingering doubt that there might be something between you and that other person, let's take the step. Pick up the phone. Uh, here, here's the message, basically, without going into details. Hey, I just want you to know I love you and I'm for you. Isn't that simple? I love you and I'm for you. We don't have to get in the mire of, well, I remember 15 years ago when you said this. And, you know, that's, that's very unhelpful. Let's just make a choice that, you know what, I want you to know right now, when you think about me, think, think two things. I'm for you and not against you, and I love you. If I can ever help you, my desire is to help you. Isn't that simple? And who is it this week you could call and do that with? How about the person at work that's, that's not your favorite person? Why don't you bring in, you know, this is so, this is so good. The Emerys, you guys got this down pat. And I hope you don't bring me coffee because I'm one of those people in your life. But you guys are always showing up with gifts in hand. Like, hey, we stopped by to get you. You know, when you stop by to get something for somebody, it's just an act of kind. Where is, where's Julia? Is little Jules in here or does she leave? Julia. So cute. You, you married a stud muffin. You know that. But she, I walked in there in between services, and she's sitting there at the table eating this little breakfast sandwich in her little hand and drinking her coffee that her man of God thought, you know what? Before we come to church, I'm going to go buy my little bride some breakfast, you know, yummies. And she was just there. She said, look at what he... And she was... And and I'm just thinking, the brother's raising the bar for all of us right there. All right? The brother's raising the bar. You know, kindness is not that hard. Thoughtfulness is not that hard. We all have the capacity in Christ to do these things. We just need to look for opportunities to get out of ourselves. You know, last thing I'll share, Jesus on the cross, beaten beyond recognition, the sin of the world on his, on his shoulders. The Father turns his back for that moment. And what's Jesus doing at his darkest moment? His focus is on the people around the cross. And what does he say? Father, 
forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Are you kidding me? I, I'm, I'm having a demonic reaction to a sinus headache. <laughs> Lord, help me. I'm pathetic. And Jesus is in agony, and he's thinking about Austin. Isn't that incredible? What a God we serve. The goal is for him to bring us into the fullness of that heart of reconciliation to where how many of you want to have great relationships in here I mean you just want to have lots of great relationships well guess what that's God's will for you and how many of you like to be used by the Lord to bring other people together that have been apart see them come together see relationships healed yeah that's the kind of church I want to be a part of stand to your feet I want to pray for you no marriage class today Take the day off. I guess we got more snow coming. Pastor Dick's prayers are being answered. Any of you folks that, any of you folks that are believing for 90 degrees, you might want to add fasting to your prayers because, because the brother is winning in the court of heaven right now. All right. Let's pray. Father God, we just present ourselves to you. We're getting ready to leave the church to go be the church this morning. And Lord, we just ask you, do miracles in our lives. We heard some testimonies already this morning of of just ways you are moving as we agree with you. God, you're moving. So I thank you for sons and daughters that are coming back. I thank you for marriages that will be healed. I thank you for intimacy and reconciliation. God, I thank you for people at work that are going to be touched when we love them in tangible ways this week. Lord, let us move in the ministry of reconciliation. And God, may our enemies be turned into our friends. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen. Hey, we love you like crazy. Have a great afternoon and a great week.